We've heard that God's timing is always perfect, but have you ever felt like it isn't? I mean, on one hand, you know his ways are higher and they certainly are not like yours. But when plans go south, when the bad news comes, when the trajectory just keeps getting worse and darkness seems all enveloping, it's at this point that we start to entertain this lie, don't we? Because we know how to turn the story around. Am I right? Like we know what would be good in this given situation. We have got it all mapped out in our mind and in our prayers and we know what would redeem it and give us that happy ending that our soul are longing for. If only God would do it. Today, we're tackling the slide that our plans are better than God's with one of my close social media friends, Ms. Tara Sun, who not only has more than 125,000 followers on Instagram, but she has a rockin' podcast called Truth Talks with Tara that you'll want to immediately download after this. Choose the one that I'm on, by the way. All in all, God has armed her with a powerful story to tell and truth to shower over us today that'll leave us hope-filled once again, reassured and confident in God and his plans once again. Let's dive in. Here's the deal. On any given day, we think 50,000 to 80,000 thoughts. But get this, of those, let's say 50,000, 98% of them are the same ones from yesterday, which means we just keep thinking the same stuff over and over and over again, which is great if it's all true, all encouraging, lovely, praiseworthy. But with the father of the lies on the loose, out to steal your hope, kill your peace, and destroy your faith? My guess is they're not. I know you because I know me. Hi, I'm Heidi Lee Anderson, Christian author, cancer survivor, and social media content creator. And in every episode of the Trade a Lie for a Truth podcast, we're camping out on one thought and picking up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, to follow the voice of truth above all else. His name is Jesus. Because in his words, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You ready? Let's seize the free abundant life in Christ one thought at a time, starting with this episode. I am so excited to dive in. We've got my dear friend, Tara Sun with us. And uh, I think the best way to kick off, of course, is playing two truths and a lie. I'm a listener of this podcast. I, I know how I know the I know the drill. Tara, look at you. I love you so much. Okay. Give me what you got. Three statements. I'm going to do my very best to actually figure out what is the lie. Let's do it. So I actually kept these like from a conference. I was speaking at a couple months ago. We played this game and I don't remember the last time I played Two Truths and a Lie. And so I'm I'm stealing these from when I used them a couple months ago. So here you go. Number one, I always wanted to be a boy mom. Number two, I danced for 14 years. Number three, I've broken three bones. What do you got? Okay, this is tough because I felt like I knew you well, but these are actually all new things for me. It's funny, when I first had Oscar, I was actually terrified that I was going to be a boy mom. I feel like my sister (laughs) was a little bit more, could handle boys, and I was like, all the frills, all the girly things, so I was a little terrified. It's funny that three girls came later, but okay, I'm going to guess, I'm going to guess that you would be a boy mom. You are good with your little hunter. I'm going to say that's a truth. So I'm going to go with the three bones because you are also crazy. It is the lie. 
It is a lie. Yes. I've actually never broken any bones. Let's just say a prayer, Lord. Let's just not have that happen in our life. I don't know how, again, because I danced for 14 years, ballet, contemporary, jazz, point, all the things. And not like you can break bones from ballet necessarily, but I just feel like I don't know how that happened. But I'm really thankful that it didn't happen. You got it. You nailed it. That's the lie. Well, I remember when I broke my, my elbow, I think I was in fourth grade, but it was was like traumatic. I still remember. And still to this day, I'm like, please children, be very careful. That's amazing. Let's keep that streak going for the rest of your life. Yes, please. Right. Yes, Lord. <laughs> All right, Tara. Today we are tackling the lie that our plans are better than God's. Such a lie, right? We can spot it from the second we say, but can you share with us a little more maybe about yourself and maybe when you first wondered this thought? Because I read in your book, Surrender Your Story, which by the way, if you don't have a copy, I guarantee by the end of this episode, you're going to want but I remember reading about your like mental blueprint for your life and how things seem to take a quick different turn. Can you maybe tell us more about that? Absolutely. I I don't think I realized, Heidi, how long in my life or how far into my life that I thought that lie, that I thought that my plans are better than God's. Like, I don't think I would have told you that. I, I don't think I would have verbalized it and said, I believe my plans are better than God's. But when I look back and when life started really like lifing, I realized that I was living living that way. So for me, like growing up in a Christian home, so thankful for that. It's a huge part of my testimony. My parents are in like vocational ministry, but they have volunteered as middle school, like youth leaders, almost their whole marriage, which is like 30 years. And so like, I grew up being like a kind of a part-time church kid, like was always there, was always part of their ministry. And that also laid the foundation of just being like in a solid Christian home. My parents love Jesus, still do, raised my brother and I in that. And so thankful for that. But because of that, I really do think, and you guys listening, let me know, let, let us know later on Instagram or somewhere if you can relate. Like if you grew up in the church, there can be these moments where you start to think that, okay, I'm just going to ride this wave. Like it's easy to be stagnant. It's easy to just be like, well, this is how I was raised. This is what I know. And it, the roots just stop to like grow, if that makes sense. I just kind of let up and I thought, well, this is easy. This is what I was founded upon. I kind of like rode the coattails of my parents' faith, really, and what I'd always known. And I think that also led me to start believe some falsities about what God's word says about his sovereignty and his plans. And for the first time in my life, it was really smooth sailing up until I turned 14. For a lot of us, when we're that age, you feel like, oh, life is about to start in high school. I mean, little do we know, but it's like life is going to really take off. I thought that. And then like two weeks into freshman year, I was not able to get out of bed. And I'm like, what is going on? It was just the wildest thing. I figured out that a couple of weeks before I had mono, just like this random virus that, you know, just came out of nowhere. And that we found out with doctors after months and months of visiting clinics and doing all the CAT scans and all the things and all the blood tests. We found out that I had fibromyalgia, which is a autoimmune slash chronic illness that can come from a random virus. It can literally be so random. That was the first time that everything crumbled for me. I I was not able to go to school for a year because I was missing so much school with physical and occupational therapy. I literally couldn't get out of bed for weeks at a time. That changed my dancing career. That changed my relationship with friends. That changed literally everything. And it was the first time that I came to the realization that my plans were not lining up with God's plans. 
And whereas for some people in the moment, it would cause them to draw nearer to God, it actually drew me further away for a season because I started to question the goodness of God and thinking, well, I didn't have bad plans for my life, God. I wasn't trying to sin. I was trying to follow you or so I thought, right? But it was really God just leading me into just a moment and what turned into a season, what turned into a lifetime of learning what it meant to surrender, surrender my story. Even when I was diagnosed with cancer, I get it where when you face a situation where it is so out of your control and there's nothing you can do to fix it. And I really think we all get to that point where we can pause in the moment. And when it looks so bad, we can doubt God's goodness, right? We can doubt right. that he still has a handle on things. And that that's the challenge of us Christians. We can pause today and we can remain short-sighted that this is all there is. And these are right. the facts. And I know everything there is to know about what's going to happen in the future. Or we can decide, okay, I don't know what's going on, but my God who can see all and still has gone before me, his goodness will follow me. Then maybe I just got to hang tight and see what he's up to, right? Exactly. Um, yeah, it goes with surrender. And, and I mean, okay, so it goes back to that. And I love how in your story, you were scrolling on Instagram and you read this one carousel post that said something along the lines like, you have control over your life and you are the director. You're the you're the writer of your story. Like it's up to you to sit down and navigate where you want to go. Yet I think this has been a plot from the enemy since the beginning of time, right? To, yes. to get us to question God's plan and really to try to get us to believe that we could write a better story. We could actually enforce better plans than God right. could. And, it, and it's funny that we actually both go into some of this in each of yes. our books. Actually, both of our first chapters have to do with this. But right. Can you talk about that so more like what did the enemy strategy look like back in the Garden of Eden and how it may look the same today? Yes, I, I love that. And I, I was even thinking as you were talking, there's so many similarities that our books share about just yep. like founding our lives upon the unwavering goodness and faithfulness of God, even when it doesn't make sense. They're kind of sister books, honestly. And Heidi, I got to tell you, when I look on Amazon and I look at my book and I scroll down to see what other people are buying, your book is right there. So like you yeah. guys, sisters, I love it. But yes, you know, what's funny is as I have read more Christian books, as I have just like read more of God's word and walked through more life, I have realized that a lot of stuff that we go through goes back to the garden. And it like makes so much sense, right? Because that's like really our origin story, even though you and I weren't there. That is where humanity was really just set on a course. And so I just find so much relatability to that. And when I was writing Surrender Your Story, a couple things that I noticed what the enemy did was the enemy really tempted Eve to take her eyes, meaning her heart and her focus and her attention to take that off of God's goodness, off of God's protection, and off of God's provision. So those three core things, because we see in Genesis 3 that the enemy, the Satan says to her, did God really say that? So first of all, he causes her to question and doubt God's word, right? So his goodness and what he's already laid out and his safety. And then he says, if you actually eat that fruit, you're going to be like God. So then he preys on her desire to get what she wants. And ultimately, the enemy is giving her a false promise of you can be in control. You can be God. Your eyes will be open. It really startled me, Heidi, when I was researching for Surrender Your Story, just how many themes of 
doubting God's goodness and trying to take control was literally right there before everything went to pot, right? This is just a problem that is not a new problem. It's not a new problem for our 2023 society with hustle culture and boss babe mentality. It's a human problem, but I also think there's hope knowing that since it is a human problem, it's exactly why God sent Jesus to save us and say, you messed up the plan or at least your plan, but I'm going to come and bring a better plan, right? That's the whole, that's the whole gospel. Yeah. I think when we call it out too, that it's actually the enemy's whispers, because sometimes I think when we wonder these things, right, we're processing in our minds, we're maybe dabbling with some doubts, some hesitations. We're wondering about God's handle. Yeah. God wants our honesty. He wants us to process. He already knows what we're thinking. So let's bring it to him. But I think when we call it out that that's actually the enemy's whisper. Guess what? You can have control over your life. Your plan is better than God's. What we're imagining, God is falling short of that. That's actually mm. the enemy's whisper. When, I don't know about you, but when I call it out for what it is, I don't want to listen to it anymore, right? I don't want right, to process right. that anymore. I don't want to give it the time of day. And so, I mean, I love that you call it out, that that's been his strategy since the beginning. And he's still whispering those lies today. It's just yeah. up to us maybe to point it out. And that's, that's the enemy right there. That's not the voice of God. And I don't need to listen right. to it. I love that you said whispers too, because- I think sometimes we associate the enemy with just this kind of like loud, rousing yeah. character when, yeah, sometimes he works that way, but most of the time it's in subtle little jabs. And like we're talking about this whole podcast, lies, just yes. little like pokes and prods and starts to plant seeds. I mean, we know seeds are a biblical analogy, but the enemy, I think, also uses seeds where he plants just little things that if we let kind of fester and, and take roots in our lives is going to determine yeah. the way we believe life, which I let that happen to me where I let the enemy start planting those seeds and I didn't, you know, do the work with God to uproot that seed because we know that if a seed gets watered and it just, we allow yes. it to grow, it's going to get bigger. And I did that in my life and I saw the not so good fruit and the, mm -hmm. the not so good plant that grew from that, you know? A hundred percent. He's described as a roaring lion, but if you look at lions, I mean, they stock their prey first very quietly for that. Right. Their prey has no idea the lion is coming, right? But the good news for us is that God gives us his word. And so we actually can diagnose those lies from the get-go, mm. right? It's, it's yes. whispers, but we can know straight up that it is a lie. Now, I love one particular line in your book so much because I think it hits on a common doubt that every single believer has faced at one point or another. And I quote, when we surrender to God, it might feel like we're making a sacrifice. After all, it feels like we're being asked to give up quite a lot. We're asked to give up our whole lives. But genuine surrender actually involves an awesome trade. You get to trade away the burdens of performance, legalism, and control, and instead receive profound peace, real joy, and a deeply satisfying purpose. The best is yet to come when we surrender. And, and like you said, you've had to grapple with that since you turned 14, which is even younger than some. But instead of walking down the halls, like you said, to algebra or joining your classmates on a Friday night to football, you face this mysterious illness. But I love how you said that while you had been given a new flesh in Christ, you were a believer, your old flesh was still fighting back. And that is a common reality for believers today. So can you share more about that with us and maybe how this had you waffling in God's plan and wanting your own and how you pivoted from there? 
Yeah, 100%. That is something that transparently, since I could understand more biblical principles, I mean, I accepted Christ when I was four, but I didn't understand what the new and the old man that Paul was talking about meant. But ever since I could understand that, that is something that I have wrestled with the most, Heidi, just trying to figure out like, okay, Lord, well, if you saved me and you've given me a new spirit and a new flesh, and you've given me a new operating system, we talk about that in the book too, then why am I having such a hard time remembering something you told me yesterday? Or why am I having such a hard time putting into practice the truth that is literally in front of my face, flipped open on my coffee table? Like, why can I not do this? And so I saw this play out in my life where in my heart, I knew that God was good and he was better and his plans were fixed in heaven and mine weren't. And I knew all this stuff to be true. So I know that, right? Because the spirit reveals that to us as Christians. But the old man was really fighting to be like, well, then how do I like follow that? How do I live that out? How can I actually like not just say that I know it, but be able to walk confidently in that truth. And so I really in the book and what I tell people now even encourage them, and maybe it sounds too simple, but I've come to realize, Heidi, that a lot of stuff I make way too complicated in my life. And so a simple truth that I have to remind myself of is that the Christian walk is coming to Jesus again and again every single day with both of your fleshes, knowing that the new flesh definitely has power over your old flesh, but not to be naive and believe that we're never going to struggle again. So we have to be, like you've said, prepared and armed up to know that this old flesh, this sin nature, the sin nature that wants to control just like Eve is going to come back. But how are we going to fight it with an even greater spirit in Christ? And so I just remind people in the book through like our main scripture of the book is when Jesus was telling his disciples the step process of becoming a disciple, which was literally taking up their cross, denying themselves, which is releasing that control and following him. And he said daily, every single translation, I'm pretty sure, at least the main ones, will say daily. Jesus didn't say it's a one and done situation where you can take up your cross, meaning you got to count the cost. You got to see that there's going to be suffering, acknowledge that, then give up personal control and then follow me one and done. Then you won't have to do it for the rest of your life. It is a daily thing. And so when we're talking about this new and old flesh, it's the same thing where we have to come to the Lord every single day and say, Lord, my heart's desire genuinely as, as hard as it is, is to follow you and to surrender. And I know this stuff to be true in my head. So help me live it out with my heart and my hands, right? I don't know. I think that's sometimes hard for us to hear because it feels exhausting, right? To come again and again to Christ. But it's also an act of dependence and being like, that's what a relationship is, a relationship with your husband, a relationship with a best friend to a less perfect degree is coming again to relationship and communication daily showing up. And God deserves that too in our relationship. And I think when we have a right view of God, that's an encouragement, right? I think it's right. important to call out at this point that if there is a twisted view of God, that will not sound appealing. Like if we right. talk about surrendering and laying down our lives, some of us wrongfully believe that God's going to pull a bait and switch on us, that he right. loves to send suffering our way. We're told to count our, our trials as joy, right? So we grimace, we think that okay, <laughs> our good father is just waiting until our defenses are 
guard down and then he's going to mm. throw us this big curveball that's just going to knock us off our feet. And we got to tackle that part of the lie to free, yeah. to seize the free abundant life that Jesus came right. in. We got to understand that that is a lie and come to know God as who he truly is. And, and you say it at best, I think, when you say, rest assured, my friend, God isn't asking us to release our control so he can bait and switch us. He is not out to trick us. We don't have to worry about being left empty handed. On the contrary, when our heavenly father asks us to give up something, he always has something exceedingly better in store. Like he is a good father. And yeah, Yeah. Jesus said in this world, we will face trouble, but he also said we can take heart. Why? He has already overcome. So surrendering to God is scary when we believe him to be unmerciful, delighting in our pain, maybe even unprotective or cruel or uncaring. Mm. But surrendering to God can be freeing when we rightfully believe him to be who he really is, loving, merciful, full of compassion, victorious, protective. I mean, good. So I think the perspective shift happens when we know and recognize who God is. Then it is a joy. Then it's, I think, a gift to place our hands in his good hands. And can you maybe elaborate more on that? There were a few characteristics of God that you shared that we need to know in order to help us surrender in a way where we're not doing it painfully with clenched hands, like scared. What characteristics can help us surrender freely and, and, and freely. Yeah. There is a chapter in the book that you're referring to. It's called God's Resume because I really, when I was thinking about what to include in this book, for me, a lot of it comes from my own struggles. And so obviously you guys know this, but Heidi and I, we wrote books on trusting God's promises, trying to hold on to hope when it's good and surrendering and trusting God. But like, you know, we, we write it from a place that we're still struggling with it and we're still trying to figure it out. And even to this day, I have to remind myself, even in a particular situation that my family's walking through right now, I have to remember that this circumstance doesn't feel good, but it doesn't change who God is. And when I was walking through my illness, my relationship struggles with just waiting and longing for marriage and career changes and dropping out of college, like all this weird stuff that happened. I realized that I was getting really angry with God and I was having a harder time releasing my clenched fists. I was having a hard time flowing with the plan that God has clearly set in motion, even if it's not mine, because I had a wrong view of who God was. And again, this is coming from someone who grew up reading the Bible, going to church every Sunday. Like I knew God, but I didn't really know God, or at least I needed a revival of who he was and a knowledge of who he was. And so in the chapter, we talk about even just some characters characteristics that we hear all the time, but I feel like we needed a refresher on, right? So like God's goodness, God's faithfulness, God's mercy, all of these things about God, his love. When we get to know who God is, which by the way, when we say God is loving, God is faithful and God is say kind or whatever characteristics, it's not that he exhibits it solely. It's that he is those things. He is love. We're told that in scripture. He is faithfulness. He is kind. He is merciful. And so we can't separate God from his characteristics. We can't separate God from, oh, he's just a person who exhibits love to me. No, he is love and he cannot do anything apart from love in your story too. And so when I really realized that God would really show up to be who he said he was in my story, it helped me to realize that when God is asking me to lay something down, 
them, when God is asking me to pivot, again, like you said, Heidi, you quoted it. It's not because he wants to trick us or he wants to bait and switch us or he wants to make us suffer. It's really because he is all of those things and more and he has something better. And like, I even just think of like how if I didn't know my husband, I mean, friends listening, think of the closest person in your life, husband, parent, best friend, grandparent, mentor, whoever that is to you. If I didn't really know them, like I clearly would not be married to Michael if I didn't spend the time, if I didn't get to see like, okay, I'm going to evaluate your characteristics. Who are you as a person? Like to an even more perfect scale. I'm not saying that it's going to be so perfectly easy for you to surrender and trust God when your life is going so opposite of what you thought. But when we do understand who God has revealed himself to be, which spoiler alert, is in the Bible, then we're going to be able to like surrendering is going to be more manageable. I guess that's a good word. It's going to be more manageable. It's going to be more doable. Again, still going to be hard, but we want, I think we're all looking for something to make that load lighter, to make those hard things more bearable and doable. And that's exactly what it looks like to go to Jesus and be like, okay, you're telling me that I'm not going to have this baby when I thought I was going to have this baby. You're telling me that I'm not going to go into this career, or you're telling me that my husband or myself, I'm going to lose my job. Like you're telling me that, okay, doesn't mean that that circumstance is not hard. But if I say, but Lord, I know you are good. And that means that you are good in your intentions. I know that you love me and I know that you are merciful. I know that you are faithful. So if you did it for them in the Old Testament, you're going to do it for me. So that is just kind of a mindset shift rather of like taking a circumstance and saying, but God, you are, but God is. And that has, that has really saved me this week, even too, Heidi, if I'm being honest. (laughs) You know, Ty and I were just talking about when he lost his job, we were just telling the kids, Mabel was a little baby. And at the time it looked really bad and it really knocked Ty off his feet. And he'll talk more about that in an episode to come. But he was telling the kids, it looked really bad, but guess what? Fast forward to today, he actually brought me the job I wanted with higher Mm. pay that is way more flexible with our family. It is better. And at the time, I just needed to hang tight knowing I have a good father who's watching out for me. He'll provide for me. I don't know what that looks like, but I just got to keep moving forward in faith, even when it's the unknown. And I think, again, it goes back to what you say when we just go back to who God is, take our eyes off of our circumstances and remember who our God is. That's when surrender feels good again, right? Because we know we trust in him. All right. Now, I think the other part of this too is God's timing, right? One thing to know God's character, but let's talk a little bit about God's timing because that can sometimes be the biggest rift when we're surrendering our plans and kind of resting in his, that his timing we know from scripture is not like ours. His ways are not like ours. And I love your honesty when you've shared about that in your life, when you were obsessed with getting engaged, what girl was it, right? I remember that time in my life, (laughs) you were ready, but it wasn't happening. And you started feeling increasingly angry, you talked about with God and maybe distrustful of of his timing. And I love when you talk to your mom about it in your book. I'm, I love to talk about my mom with all the things. He is always the one. Like it's also like your mom where it's like, she comes back to just trust his timing. And that's like it, you know, and you're like, Okay, I know that. No, I know I need to, I kind of don't like it when you say Seriously, yes. We've all been there, but especially when his timing appears not so great or maybe too slow or non-existent, I think we could all benefit from hearing what happened next in your story and how you realized that God actually didn't disappoint you. His timing actually turned out pretty good. Yes, I have been thinking a lot back to that time. I I think you get so retrospective. Like now I've been married for... 
three years, three plus years, have a little guy. Like you just get so, you know, introspective about all of that. But when I was dating my boyfriend, now husband, Michael, in total, before we got engaged, we dated for like four and a half years, which is a long time, especially when you're thinking about like Christian circles, right? Nowadays, you're like, if you find the one, get married tomorrow kind of thing. And so I think a lot of, you you know what I'm talking about, a lot of what happened, I think in my own life was I started to look at other people. I started to look at other people's timelines and wonder like, okay, well, I should be, you know, engaged at the same time. I should be, you know, moving along the same trajectory. And so that didn't help me wait for God's timing because I was looking outside of God's plan for my own life. And I started started to see patience as like this poisonous thing. We're living in a society where it says, you know, if you can have it now, why wait? Like go after it. And so it came to a point where I was having a lot of those conversations, Heidi, with my mom that happened probably once a week. We're just lamenting over, you know, over the kitchen sink as we wash dishes and just like crying and being like, well, why am I not engaged? And like, I have the guy, but what's happening? And for context, we were 17 when we started dating. So my dad's like, do you really think that you were going to get married when you're like 18? I mean, you could have, but realistically- Like you're so logical, but I look back now when I tell people about our waiting story, our dating years, I look back and say, you know, I am not going to tell anyone anymore a certain amount of time that you should be dating someone before you get married or a certain engagement season. I'm all for the short engagement, so I'm going to encourage that. But like I have come to realize that God's timing is different for every single person. And I look back and realize that God did so much maturing in Michael and my life while we were dating. I can't imagine a 17 and 18 year olds getting married at that point when I wanted to and how God sent us both through different career paths and different pitfalls and all these things that I'm so thankful. Also, additionally, just very personally, like when Michael and I got married, we found out that we were having our son Hunter four months after we got married. We're like, oh, pregnant, uh, which was amazing. I would never change it. But I look back and we tell people that they're like, you know, wasn't that such a shock? And well, like, yeah, even though it wasn't a part of our plan, I love that God used our long dating season to like form a foundation of like getting to know each other. The Lord did so much with something that I thought was such poor timing. And there's so many benefits that I think Michael and I are still reaping to this day. And I always look back to Elizabeth in the Bible when she was waiting for a baby, all her friends were grandparents, right? Like she, I'm sure wondered what in the world is taking so long, yet she stayed faithful. But what I love looking at with her particular story is that Mary was chosen to bear Jesus. And Elizabeth, as her cousin, was chosen to bear John the Baptist. So he would yeah. be coming to be the front runner for Jesus, to prepare the way for Jesus. Well, I mean, Elizabeth is an old woman, but Mary was very young. So when Elizabeth wanted babies, I mean, Mary wouldn't have maybe even been born or a toddler herself in no position to right. be a- God knew the timing. And so when Jesus was born, that's when John the Baptist came. And I think sometimes we got to realize that our timing isn't just for us. It affects other people. And God is setting people at certain points. And he wants to use you. He wants to use your husband. He wants to use your children to reach certain people. And so we just got to hang on sometimes. Now, yeah. you are a storyteller just like me, and I love how you retell Joseph's story in your book. And he is the man to look to when we have a hard time understanding the goodness of God's plan when we are in the midst of a tough waiting season. And can you maybe yeah. share more about the three P's that you talk about in your book with Joseph's story? What P is so important to cultivate in light of surrender? 
absolutely. Well, first of all, I'm not nearly the storyteller that Heidi is, yes. but I love getting to tell a story and I love getting to look at scripture and I think being a writer, I think being a mom, I think just being older, you look at scripture in such a new light. And I love that God does that. When you're younger, you're like, this doesn't make any sense. That's what Joseph's story was for me because I looked at his life and there was three Ps, which I think this is not an original idea. I'm pretty sure there was some other books written along this idea, but how Joseph had three different locations in his life that started with the letter P. He was thrown in a pit first, right? And then he went to, you know, a palace and then he went to a prison. Well, he kind of waffled between both of them, <laughs> the prison and the palace at different times. But basically all of those moments were really times that he could have started to believe, Lord, you promised me through dreams and even through my lineage that I'm going to be a really important part of your story, right? He had favor. His dad loved him. He had a good future. And then everything really went to pot when he was dumped in the pit by his brothers, right? And that was a moment where everything was not going according to his plan. And then he was sold into slavery. And then he started working for the Egyptians. And then he was wrongfully accused. And then he was bumped back into prison, wrongfully accused again, falsely accused for being inappropriate with the king's wife, you know, just so many things. But then eventually we see that he lands in the palace at one of the highest positions ever in the land. And so when we look at Joseph's life through all the peace, through the pit, the prison, and the palace, he had something that again starts with a P. I love that alliteration. He had patience. When we read Joseph's story in Exodus, the end of Exodus, we read that he never wavered in his trust of God, that he never forgot God's promise to him, and that every season, again, totally out of his control and totally out of what he thought his life was going to be, he waited. I know that Joseph was imperfect but we don't read a moment where Joseph tried to take things into his own hands. Like Micah 6 says, he just like, you know, acted justly. He walked in mercy. He walked humbly with his God. Like he just took every single day and every single situation and used that as a stepping stone. Patience really is God's way of helping us to see the setbacks in life as really setups for what's next. And I love that about Joseph's story. And I have to come back to it all the time when I think, okay, Lord, like, you know, Heidi, your book even says this too. God, you promised to work all things for good but it's not good right now and I'm not seeing it, but I can trust that through patience that I know something good is going to come. And I do love that it isn't until he gets to the end of his story. I mean, it's even after his dad moves to Egypt and his dad passes away and his brothers are panicked. Like, are you going to throw us out now? Did you only tolerate us because our dad was around? But it's only at that point decades later that he's able to look back and say, you intended evil mm -hmm. against God intended it for good. And that is an encouragement yeah. to me that it may take decades for me to understand why God allowed something to happen. But in the end, we are going to see his goodness all over it because his goodness right. follows us all the days of our lives. I think too, a good reminder for all of us that I think a lot of us know in our heads, what we need to really know is that in the seasons where it feels like God isn't working, right? Joseph could have started to believe that when he was in the pit or you know in prison, yeah. that God is still working. And you hear that all the time, but think about the intricacies of your life. Think about the intricacies of a 24-hour period, stuff that goes behind the scenes, in front of the scenes, that our lives are so detailed and so intricate that of course God is working even when we don't see it. Nothing is too hard for him, but I'm saying that God is always working. Today, like Heidi said, even if it's decades, God will be tirelessly working 
for the benefit of you and for the glory of him in that decade of time. So just, I don't know, take heart. If you feel like nothing's happening, your life is intricate and it's meaningful and it takes time. A life really takes time. Amen. That was a good word. Anyone else like need to pump their fists after that? Okay. I feel like we are in a good position now to trade the lie that our plans are better than God's for the truth that although his timing is not like ours and often his plans are not like ours either, they are always good. They are always redemptive. They are perfect. And to help us get there, I would love it for you to pray over us your prayer of surrender. Would you do that for us? Yes, I actually have the book right here. So I'd love to pray for you guys. I have to read this over and over to myself as well. So let me just pray us out. Heidi, I love you and I love every single person listening. I'm just so thankful for today. Okay, let's pray. Lord Jesus, help me to surrender my story to you each and every day, remembering that I can only do so through your spirit and your strength. When I'm tempted to rush ahead of your timeline, remind me to wait upon you. When the world feeds me the lie that I can do all things in my own strength, bring me to my knees. When my soul is anxious, reassure me that there is no safer place to be than in great need of you. When I am trying to figure it all out, remind my heart to pray, not my will, but yours be done. Thank you for revealing what I need to know to make decisions that honor you. Thank you for revealing your beautiful heart and trustworthy character to me. I know I can trust you with my story. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit, my counselor, my guide, my power source and advocate. Lord, I trust your will. I trust your heart. I will keep declaring these truths back to you, training my heart to trust you even when it's not easy. I love you, Lord. Thank you for loving me so much that you want to write my story. Amen. Amen. When I got to the end of the book and I read that, I just had to take a deep breath in and a deep breath out. It was so <laughs> yeah. good, so refreshing, such a great way to end your book. Before we end though, we always do a lightning round of five just lighthearted Christian questions. Give us Love your need reaction. Yeah. And I came up with a few of these myself. Ty threw in a couple. So we'll see, Ooh, we'll see if they measure up to his. Do it. Okay. Number one, out of the 12 disciples that Jesus walked with, if you were walking with them during that time, who would you have saddled up with? Like, who do you think would you would have been BFFs with? Ooh, honestly, I want to say Peter because I want to be like bold, which I feel like I am, but I, I feel like maybe I'm a little type A. So I maybe, maybe I'd really click with Matthew, right? The tax collector, the ex-tax collector who like kept the book, maybe. I love that. I'm like so competitive that I think I would want to join John and Peter as they're racing to the tomb, you know, and I love that they're yes. One. So I don't know. Yes. Number two, what do you feel is the most underrated Bible story? Like I know all Bible stories are equal. They're the word of God. They're wonderful. But there are some where I feel like we do sermon after sermon after sermon about that. Yeah. There are yeah. some that remain untouched. Is there a Bible story that you've read that you like love, but you don't often hear it talked about? Honestly, Nehemiah, the whole book of Nehemiah. I love yes. Nehemiah. It's become one of my favorite Old Testament books of the Bible over the last couple of years. Nehemiah, 100%. At least from what I've seen, it's it's underrated. No, that's true. I just read a fiction book about Nehemiah and I it was one of those things where I hadn't even considered how much he would have had to put his neck on the line to even request to go back. And then he led this group of ragtag men to build this wall that had lost hope, had lost motivation. I mean, yeah, he was a powerhouse. We don't Oh yeah. That's good. Okay. Three. What was your 
first Christian CD? Did you have CDs? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, I, I might have been right on the cusp because I remember just in the span of a couple years getting like an iPod Nano, you know, after the CDs. Yes. But my very first CD was uh, Brit Nicole's first album. I don't remember the name of it, but I blasted Brit Nicole on my little CD player. Like, she, she's the GOAT. She's the goat. Love that. You know, when I was thinking of mine, and this is totally a Christian kid thing, when you're trying to convince your parent to let you listen to some secular music, like I remember getting the Spice Girl CD, and I think there's a lot says like keep the faith keep your faith and I like pointed to the lyrics like mom and dad see I think they're Christian and now as an adult I'm like oh oh my word you're sly you're sly okay number four what is your earliest memory of the church do you have like an early memory shot at all I would honestly would probably say felt boards in Sunday school and also in Awana grew up in Awana did like every single year of Awana Bible kids but felt boards sitting in that same room I can literally picture it right now also me being the kid who wanted to be the only one to put the characters up on the felt board it was like every sunday please pick me i want to be up there yeah i love that (laughs) okay number five what is your best tip to getting the family to church on time with a baby you just had little... I don't know. Uh, okay, I'm just I'm just gonna speak really gently into the microphone so he can't hear me. Just train your husband to be on time. It's not your baby's fault. It's your husband's fault. <laughs> that is hilarious. I, mean, I only I only have one kid. Okay, and 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 he's two, and he's pretty easygoing. This is just our family. Okay, maybe you can relate, but that's that's my that's my tip. I'm not gonna say anymore. Here, Michael, I love it. Thank you so much for joining me. I want you to share more about where we can find you because I mean, I have been following you on Instagram for years now. We've been friends, but tell us where else we can find you. We'd love to connect more after this. Oh, I love you. This was literally the most fun I've had in a podcast interview in a long time. And you're just a natural. And I love you so much, Heidi. You know that. Such a big fan. Where you can find me on Instagram at Miss Tara Sun or just like search Tara Sun. I'm over on Instagram. You can find me on my own podcast. Heidi's been on my podcast too. So go find that episode. It's so good. It's called Truth Talks with Tara on Apple, Spotify, literally anywhere. And you can grab my book, this this baby, if you're watching on YouTube, literally anywhere you get books. So yeah, I'd love to connect anywhere. Love you so much, Tara. Thank you again for joining us. Let's trade the lie that God's plans aren't good and ours are better with the truth that his are so good and we can wait on him to see it for ourselves. Mm-hmm.